you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's how you locate it. Um, really excited about this series on sharing your faith, what we'll be talking about, and what we're talking about today, sharing your faith with the next generation, whether that is your children, um, your grandchildren, your neighbor's children. We know that you are in contact with the next generation one way or the other. And even if you aren't, um, I hope you will find some, um, some truths that are going to be meaningful for you today as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, students, I am going to ask if I could have you all in here throughout the message today because I've got some important things that I want to share with you as we talk about passing down our faith to the next generation. Uh, this past week was a difficult week for me as a parent because we dropped our third child off uh, to college. Um, so three in college now, and Kate... Um, my middle child is, is there for the first time and, uh, students, um, you're, you're not far, right? You're just, just a few years from when you'll be loading up, going off to a dorm room, loading up, heading off somewhere else outside the home. Um, and, and as a parent, you know, it could be pretty intimidating. You know, it's just a flood of emotions. And I know this isn't a novel idea, especially if you've dropped a kid off at college. Um, you, you know, this is not new to you. There's a flood of emotions you're excited about, uh, the, the new opportunities for your child. You're excited for them. You're excited about what God's going to be doing in their, in their life. You're nervous for them because it's a whole new situation uh, for them. And when you start pulling away, driving home, leaving them there. Uh, You know, your heart's breaking a little bit, and you realize as, I mean, you're going to always be their parent, but there are going to be new things and people that will be competing for influence in their life. I mean, you just realize that because they're not at home anymore with you. And one of the questions that I thought about as I was driving home was this question, did I do my job? Did I do my job, God? Did I do my job? And that's what I want to talk about today with you um, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. What is your job, your primary job as a parent? Um, Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you do not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you do not provide, wells you do not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you do not plant. Then when you eat, and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord, your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land that that the Lord has promised, on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you. As the Lord said. Now I want to make four points about passing down your faith to the next generation, to your kids, to grandkids. Um, first two points are why you must pass down your faith. Second two points, why you should pass down your faith. Uh, first point is this. Why must you? Because true life is only found in the true God. All right, how, how does one discover the good life? This is kind of like a, a lifelong, I mean, human beings throughout the centuries have been asking this question, what is the good life? How do you discover the good life or true life? Um, a few years ago, the president of Yale University gave an address to incoming freshmen. Yale. And here is what he said. said, the faculty can guide you. We can take you to the frontiers of knowledge, but we cannot supply you with a philosophy of education any more than we can supply you with a philosophy of life. So he's not going to tell the students um, about what life is all about. And then he said, this has got to come from your own active learning, from your own choices, your own decisions. Yale expects you to take yourself seriously and think for yourself. And one of the things he said, if you come in here and you believe that Columbus discovered America in 1805, we'll correct that thought. If you come in here and believe that E equals MC cubed, not MC squared, we'll correct that. But we're not here to tell you about what life is all about, how to discover the good life. For that, you have to think for yourself. When it comes to values, ethics, worldview, you're on your own good luck. 
think for yourself. Now, think for yourself, that sounds like an American motto, right? Think for yourself. You can do it. You can figure it out. Deuteronomy 6 offers this very countercultural idea. No, no, no. (laughs) Don't think for yourselves. Pass your values and faith down to the next generation. So what's the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, this happened shortly after God freed the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. This scripture marks a, uh, one of the most remarkable shifts for God's people because up until then, they were accustomed to being slaves. I mean, they had their life extremely regimented for them. They were told what to think. They were told what to to do throughout the entire day. Life was very regulated for them as slaves. They thought as slaves. God freed them from slavery. Now they have freedom. Now they can choose when to get up, when to go to sleep, what they can do during the day. They can think for themselves now. What is one of the first things that the Israel do when they, the Israelites did when they started thinking for themselves? Let's make some golden calves to worship. That's what thinking for themselves got them. One of their first things they think of is idolatry. See, God knows when people make up morals, values for themselves... God knows, I hate to break this to you. I hate to break it to myself. God knows we do a pretty lousy job (laughs) when we come up with those things for ourselves. And so he gives the Israelites the, the Ten Commandments. You know, and many people think, oh, commandments, laws, big deal, you know. Laws are for ignoring. We know what to do with laws. You fudge them. You work around the system. You conveniently neglect the laws. I mean, we, we know how to work the system as human beings. And so God gives this statement in verse 4, just this, this crazy statement. It doesn't seem too crazy for us, but for these Israelites back in this time, it would have been revolutionary. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this wasn't just some theological, heady statement about God. Ooh, that sounds profound. The Lord is one. No, this was radical breakthrough truth because everyone else in the world at this time is believing in multiple gods. God's everywhere. And um, if, you know, how do people learn about values and morals and, and truth. Well, they learned it from their gods. And if you had lots of gods that you could choose from, you had lots of things, lots of values, lots of morals you could you can pick and choose from. And when God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, God is saying, no, there's one God, there's one way, one moral, ethical code. It's not make up whatever you want. It's not You know, you're at the cafeteria, you get to pick and choose one way. God says, trust me, 
Obey my commands so that you may enjoy long life. Now, we don't often connect commands with life, do we? Follow commands and life. Those thoughts usually do not go together in our minds. But God's commands lead to life. William Willimon, um, uh, a uh, college uh, chaplain at Duke University, great preacher, he put it like this. God's law was seen not so much as this thing, you cannot break it, you cannot break it. It's not how the people saw God's law, but rather they saw God's law as the finger pointing you in the right direction. You go in the direction of God's law, and that's the way to the good life. That's how you discover what is true life, by following God's law. In this teaching, God says, pass down from one generation to the next, one generation to the next. So parents, grandparents, interesting exercise for you. Write down, what are your kids learning from you? you know, like, What are the life lessons that you are passing on to your kids? Um, many people may something like, say something like this. You know, what did you learn from your parents? Oh, you know, my work ethic. You know, I work really hard. This work ethic I got from my mom or got from my dad. The value of a dollar, I learned that from my mom or from my dad. What have you worked hard at as a parent to pass down to your kids? Ligon Duncan um, Ask parents these questions. Do you spend more time thinking about your children's physical and temporal needs than their spiritual needs? Okay, Physical, temporal needs of our kids, those are pretty important to us. Do you spend more time thinking about those than their spiritual needs? Are you more con- concerned about their placement in schools, how well they do in school, their social group uh, that they're running around in? Do you worry more about their success in secular employment and life? Do you worry more about performance and scholastic pursuit? Then you worry about their spiritual growth and their nurture. Good questions for parents to consider. What have your children or what will your children learn from you? See, the Bible does not paint our children or human beings in general um, as, uh, as people that can do relatively fine on their own and just need a little bit of help from God here or there. That is not how the Bible paints a picture of human beings. The Bible paints a picture of human beings as being slaves to all kinds of sin, slaves to all kinds of self-destructive behavior, and needing God to come in and give freedom and point the way to the good life. That's the picture that Bible gives about human beings. So parents help lead the kids, our kids, down to this pathway of uh, the good life. Second reason you must pass down your faith, and it's this. Parents are the primary spiritual leaders for their children. The truth is no one can take the place of parents in being the primary spiritual leaders of your kids. And here is one reason why, an important reason. 50 versus 3,000. Take a guess at what those two numbers represent. What do those numbers mean? 
Any ideas? 50 is the number of hours that a Sunday school teacher per year, that a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a pastor generally has with your children or your grandchildren, compared with 3,000 hours per year that a parent has with their kid per year. And parents, if we are saying, hey, the church, I can trust the spiritual nurture of my child with a church. I'm good. I've got a great church. Hope Church is a great church. Oh, the numbers just don't add up, parents. Parents, God is giving you 3,000 hours per year, roughly, to help shape your child. You are the primary spiritual leader of your children. Look at how Deuteronomy chapter 6 describes passing down faith to the next generation. Uh, Verse 7, impress them, God's commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Impress, that word means uh, sharp or to sharpen like a knife or like an arrow. Every other time you see that in the Old Testament, it's talking about like a weapon, like, like something sharp. And, and God is using that metaphor to describe, how, you know, we need to make an imprint on our kids as we teach them about God's word. So we repeat God's word. Oh, or how do you imprint something? You do it repetitively. You, you repeat God's word over and over as you go out on your days. You sit at home as you walk along the road. Today, we're not doing a whole lot of walking along the road. We're driving around town. As you drive around with your kids, you're talking to them about God's word. Verses 8 and 9. Look at the next couple of verses. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So these verses are describing using visuals. Use visuals. Use rituals to pass down your faith. Now I want to point out a couple of thoughts here of passing down faith. Um, one, I think these verses describe we should point your children. You should point your children to God through everyday opportunities. Um, I remember a time... Um, decade ago or so, uh, where we were just having a lot of complaining around the house, the Brady household, a lot of complaining. Uh, complaining about chores, complaining about what was for dinner, complaining about having to get up early. And after a while, Melissa said, Greg, you've got to knock it off with all this complaining. You thought I was talking about the kids, right? Oh, no, the kids were complaining a lot about those things. Uh, the older three, when they were younger, complaining about all these different things. And, uh, and we had this big dry erase board in our kitchen. And I just got up, and I wrote on the dry erase board, Philippians 2.14. If you are below the age of 18, Memorize Philippians 2.14 so that you can use it on your kids one of these days. So one of my favorite Bible verses, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So I just wrote that on the dry erase board. 
And we just repeated it over and over again as a family. Let's read it again, kids. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Repeated and repeated. Had this visual in our kitchen for a month of Philippians 2.14. Nice, big visual reminder. Um, Another point about uh, passing down your faith. Develop rituals to reinforce faith. And a lot of times we see rituals and we, we... we, we might think rote, you know, just kind of mindlessly doing things. And rituals can, at least religious rituals, can get um, a bad rap today. Let me tell you, rituals can be one of the greatest tools of passing down faith. I mean, we, God has designed us as human beings to to use rituals. I mean, we, we, we turn anything into a ritual, and we, we take meaning from that. And rituals shape us. And I know the rituals that I want shaping my kids are rituals that will direct them to God, not direct them to Amazon. I don't know. Um, I want rituals that will shape their heart in the way that God wants them shaped. So use rituals. Use rituals of going to church every week. I mean, I, I've told you the story um, a time or two about uh, just a, a very vivid memory I have of, of as a kid on Sunday morning. I'd be laying in my bed. I'd be looking at my clock. And I knew that if I read a certain time on the clock, if the minutes ticked by to a certain time before my parents came in, in the room to wake me up, that meant we weren't going to church that day. And I'd be like, whew, because I just, I just felt out of place at church. I didn't want to go to church. I've t- told you that story before. What I might not have told you is the number of times that that happened every year where the, you know, the magic number clicked by and I can go, whew, we're not going to church. It happened like three or four times every year. We went to church almost every Sunday. And it stuck. And when I went off to college, guess what I did on Sunday mornings? I went to church. Power of ritual. I saw from my parents, this is important. This is important. That's why we do it. What about prayer? Prayer before meals at home? Parents, you doing that? At restaurants? When you're driving around? Prayer before meals? Absolutely. We should do that. Rituals help reinforce the truth that we do not go about life on our own, but we go through it, receiving God's blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this food. With God right along with us. God's always with us. Third thought, passing on your faith. Uh, Parents, remember that the greatest visual for your children is you. It's not not Philippians 2.14 written on the dry erase board. It's you. You are the greatest visual. If you want your kids to be reading their Bibles, they need to see from you, you reading your Bible. If you want your kids praying, they need to learn that from you. If you want your kid to have this loving heart, they need to see you loving your neighbor. Kids need to see a faith in you that makes a difference in what you do. That's why you must pass on your faith your children. Why should you do it? I think you should do it because 
I mean, there's lots that we can draw from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I want to pull out two really, really important things um, about God that we have the opportunity to, to pass down to our kids. And for teenagers right now, I really want you to, I want you to hear this next one because it's, it's about to be really relevant to you as you, in just a few years, you're, you're leaving home, you're going to college, you're getting a, a job, you're, you're going out in the workforce, you're doing something different. So three, um, for our kids, for the next generation, inspire their imagination in the goodness of God. Look at verse 10, yeah. Uh, verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you. I read this longer bit of scripture. I could have shortened it a little bit, but I gave you 19 verses. For one reason, I wanted you to notice how many times God, through Moses, is reminding the Israelites, he's about to lead them to the promised land. He says it four different places in these 19 verses. I'm leading you to this land. God's leading you to this land, this new land, milk and honey land. Moses is inspiring the imagination of the Israelites and the goodness of God. And when I say imagination, I don't mean make-believe. I don't mean imagining unicorns and stuff like that. It's not the imagination I'm talking about. I mean shaping the appropriate images in the minds and the hearts of our children. Just like Moses was shaping the images in the mind and the heart of the Israelites about the goodness of God. And way too often, statistics tell us, way too often when kids go away, when they leave the home, they stop participating in the community of faith. They stop going to church. And at most, their faith becomes a nominal faith and a higher being God that makes little to no practical difference in their lives. And something else captures their imagination. I want God capturing the imagination of my kids. And I think it's really easy today, and I'm guilty of this. I am guilty of this. Um, It's easy today to paint this message for the next generation. You know, life is really hard. Life is tough. You have to work really hard. And you've got to worry. And maybe God will give you a break here or there. You know, if that's the message that we're passing down to the next generation— That doesn't really inspire religious devotion to God, does it? It just doesn't. So back to the land, the promised land. Why does this get mentioned over and over again? One of the ways we inspire their imagination in the goodness of God is we make sure our kids know that the promised land is more than just a metaphor. Um, Yeah, it's true that that, uh, if you look at the book of Hebrews... The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, talks about the, all these figures of faith. You might remember that chapter of the Bible. All these, these historic figures of faith. And it is true that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these big figures of faith, they knew that the land that they were living in, it, it, was, it was just a temporary home, and they were looking forward to a heavenly home. And it, it does say that. But it also says that they were indeed looking forward to a land, <laughs> a country. Um, 
the promise is that God has prepared a city for them and for us, not some spiritualized, ethereal, heavenly place that no one looks forward to going to. Um, this dualistic idea that a lot of Christians have bought into that we just have to suffer through this, this world until God finally takes us out of here to some spiritualized, ethereal, who knows what it's like, realm. It just isn't a complete picture of the truth. It's not compelling for our kids in, in giving them a vision for their life. The real picture, let's talk about the, the promised land, this, this vision of this land. The real biblical picture is God gave human beings the Garden of Eden. And he, he's going to renew the world to be like the Garden of Eden. That is God's ultimate future. And this renewed physical world will be our home. And in the middle, yes, there's some suffering, there's difficulty, but there's also this God that is unleashing life now. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it in the full. And I worry, I worry about myself, this image of, man, life's hard, you got to work hard, it's, it's rough. And then you have Jesus saying, I'm here, I'm alive, and I've come that you may have life now and have it in the full. So help the next generation know that they live in God's world where Jesus is alive and he's bringing life with him. And Jesus wants us to come alongside him and renew this world that, and build his kingdom and that's going to help our kids have this holy imagination about their life. And we're not, and teenagers, you are not being prepared just to earn paychecks. That is not your calling in life, just to earn a paycheck. Paychecks are good things, by the way, but that is not your big calling in life. And Jesus is going to call you into some vocation. Some could be a world of service, could be making money off of it, but some area of service or career where he is inviting you to take the gifts that he's developed, the worldview that your parents are helping shape in you, and use all of that to serve the Lord for his purposes of renewing the world and do the work of God in helping restore this world to be like the Garden of Eden. Uh, don't leave this message saying, oh, pastor saying heaven's not real. Heaven is real. But the ultimate place that God has prepared for his people is the new heavens, new earth, God restoring this physical world, making it like the Garden of Eden. And four, teach children, teach your children they can trust God always. Verse 16 says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa." It's an interesting little verse. Why, why mention Massa? What, what happened there? Why, why is Moses bringing this to their attention? Uh, what happened there? Well, that was a place where the Israelites were grumbling in the desert because they didn't have any water. They were grumbling against God. And God gave them water. Their desire for water wasn't bad. It was they didn't trust God to give it to them. That's what needed correcting. 
They're grumbling against God. Is that, That's the warning. And so parents, show your kids you can trust God always. And one of the ways you do that is you tell stories of how you've trusted in God and God has come through. The God-breaking-in story. Um, the story that has been passed down through the generations in my family is about you know, my, my great-grandfather was a farmer during the Great Depression, didn't have a lot of anything. And um, there would be times when there, there wasn't hardly any food in the house. And my, my grandmother, you know, daughter of my great-grandfather, would see him out in the fields, and he would... He would you know, stop the horse. He's, his horse drawn this plow. He'd stop the horse, get off the plow, get on his knees, and just pray to God, God, give us what we need. Give us what we need. He trusted in God always. And then God would break in. It would be the story of people bringing food by the house for him. He just, he just knew God was going to provide for their needs. So parents, help your children know. No matter how bad it may get, no matter how uncertain the future may seem, they can trust God no matter what. You keep trusting in God that there's going to be a turnaround because there will be one. You keep trusting that you will see God's redemption because you will see it. You keep trusting in God's provision because you will receive it. It will happen. Help your kids to know you can trust God no matter what. Show that in your life. And then one day when you're driving away from college, (laughs) dropping them off, or they're pulling away out of your driveway with their car crammed full of their stuff, and you wonder, did I do my job? If you've helped them to know they can trust God no matter what, yeah, you've done your job. You've done your job. Let's pray. God, we we thank you that you are this faithful forever. That um, you're faithful to our children and our grandchildren, this next generation. That as worked up as we get as parents, um, that we know that um, you have our precious next generation in your hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful in passing down our faith, in speaking of you and your commands, of worshiping you, of praying to you, of breaking out our Bibles at home and, and, and reading them. Uh, help us to be faithful in participating in the community of faith. Thank you, Lord, that we have true brothers and sisters here um, in our church. And that, yes, even though... We might not have the 3,000 hours a parent does. I've got, I've got 50 hours or so in the life of someone else's child and can pass down my faith to them. Lord, thank you. We trust 
that your work will be done as we follow you. We trust that your work will be done in the life of our children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.